0: If you ever have the chance to travel to London, if you've been there, you you might want to check out this thing called Cleopatra's Needle. This thing goes back 3,500 years. It was a gift to one of the pharaohs, and in the late 19th century, in 1878, the Brits brought it over to London and placed it right there on the banks of the Thames River. And when they did, on September 12th of 1878, they put in a time capsule, And if you and I had the opportunity right now to open it up, here would be some of the things we'd find. There was a set of the coins that they used in that day. There were some kids' toys that kids played with in that day. There was a picture of the 12 most beautiful women in London. There was a directory of the city. And there was kind of this weird thing, a razor. I don't know like if it was like a New Deal in 1878, but they thought, man, people should know. We had razors back here in 1878. They had a razor. And then here's the interesting thing. They had a verse from the Bible translated into 215 different languages in that time capsule. Guess which verse? John 3:16. That's what we've been looking at, the numbers of hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if you're just joining us today for the first time, let me tell you where we've been. We start out focusing in on God's love for the world, concluding that if God loves the world, that means he loves us. Any of us, all of us, no matter what we've done, where we've been, where we are. There's nothing we could do that would cause God to love us less, just as important. There's nothing you could do more of this week that would cause God to love you more. His love is so different than ours. We love when and if and because. When the conditions are met, then we can love. God's love is unconditional. It has nothing to do with us because he embodies love. God is love. And his love for you and for me is completely unconditional. And the verse tells us that God didn't just proclaim through Christ that God is love. But he proved, he demonstrated that God is love. When Jesus went on the cross and he died In your place and mine. And when we understand that, we understand God didn't just say it. He did it. It's undeniable. It's verifiable. God loves us. His son died on the cross for us is proof of that love. Now today, we come to what I call kind of the bridge part of the verse. At first glance, it looks like, well, this is our part. He loves, he gave, we believe. And and it's this belief that starts bridging things before and after that word. Whoever believes in him won't perish. And so it's the bridge that connects us back to a loving God and forward to eternal life. It's It's the protection that keeps us from dying people who are condemned. Not condemned because God's condemned us. Because remember verse 17 says, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world. He didn't have to condemn the world because we've condemned ourselves. How do we do that? We did it by not loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not loving our neighbor as ourselves. We've fallen short of God's standard. And the result of falling short, or what the Bible calls sin, is that death has now marked our life. We live in a fallen world and we're under the curse. Things aren't just right. In the world, things just aren't right in our life, and Christ came to make it right. And whoever believes in him becomes that bridge. It connects me to God's love and life, and it keeps me or protects me from his judgment and wrath. So open your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 16. I think you'll find that on page 752. If you need to use that Bible in the rack in front of you. Now, for a lot of us, we're not familiar with these words. In our mind, we, we think maybe what we've heard is, Jesus died for the world, and so it's all good. We're all in. Don't worry about it. Christ is taking care of it. Uh, we'd read the verse like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that we shall not perish, but have, every, have eternal life. That's not what it says. Some of us think it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever does lots of good works for him won't perish, but have eternal life. That's not what it says. It says that there's a pardon for a certain kind of person who makes a certain kind of response to this loving God. And the question is, who gets the pardon? So it just kind of lets you into to Mark's brain. I don't know if your brain works like this, but this is how my brain works. So I'm thinking of pardon. I'm thinking of crimes, and I'm thinking of jail and prison, and I'm thinking of get out of jail. I'm thinking of monopoly. Does your mind ever do stuff like that? Uh, it gets worse than that. But anyway, so I'm thinking about monopoly. I'm thinking, get out of jail. How do we get out of jail in Monopoly. There's three ways. First is you roll what? Doubles. After three turns of rolling doubles, if you haven't rolled doubles, you do what? See, you've played this game. 50 bucks, right? But if you've got the what? The get out of jail free card, you can play the card at any time and get out of jail. You can get one of those at the community chest stack or at the chance stack. And so in a sense, to get out of jail in Monopoly, you either pay your way out or you're lucky. I mean, it's luck that we landed on the square at the time when the card was on the top. And some of us think that's how it works. You kind of work it off. You pay your way off to get the pardon. Or it's just kind of luck. And the Bible says, no, it's not like that at all. It's not by luck. It's not by a payment. It's whoever believes in him. Now think about those words, whoever. A really important word. That means anybody Anywhere at any time can believe in Christ. Whoever. No matter what you've ever done. You need to know the Bible says he loves the world and it's whoever. That's you. That's me. No matter where we're at. Then it says it's whoever believes. We're going to talk a lot about belief. But we realize it's not just believe. It's believe in him. So, so look at the verse John three sixteen, and try and figure out well who's the hymn? The hymn is the Son, the one and only son that God sent that's Jesus. The hymn is verse fourteen, the one who's going to be lifted up on the cross. we're believing in the Son of God who was crucified, who died as a ransom, he died as a substitutionary sacrifice in our place on the cross that's what it means to be pardoned, to believe in this Son, Jesus Christ. And so the question is, okay, if that's who's pardoned, do I have God's pardon? And before you say, I believe, so I do, it gets stickier. Because you start reading the New Testament, and all of a sudden you start finding out there's two kinds of people who believe in Jesus. There's people who believe in Jesus and aren't pardoned, and there's people who believe in Jesus and are. So it's not just as simple as you saying, do I believe? Yeah, I, I believe. It's now understanding, do I, have, do I have the real thing? Do I have the real thing? So let me give you some examples, uh, four different examples where believing in Jesus did not bring a pardon. James chapter 2, verse 19. The scriptures say, the, the demons believe that God is one, but they're not going to be pardoned. The scriptures are clear. They're doomed to eternal destruction. They believe in Jesus. We read the gospels and they confront Jesus in this, in this person that they're possessing and they'll call out who he is. I know you're the Christ, the son of the living God. They know exactly who he is. They believe in him. They know who it is. But they don't serve him. They're not pardoned. Th- then you have the Jews um, in, in John chapter 8, verse 31 through about 37, 38, there's this group of Jews, and John says they believed in him, in Jesus. And then a couple of verses later, you read Jesus saying to these people who believe in him, saying, you guys want to kill me. I suddenly we realize, well, that, that's, that's a different kind of faith going on here. They believe in him, but they want to kill him. Then you've got Jesus' family, Math in John chapter 7. This is fascinating. In John chapter 7, you get the idea that the family sees an opportunity. Jesus is working miracles. I mean, think about it. He's turned the water into wine. He's feeding the 5,000. The sick are coming to him. He's healing all kinds of people, doing all kinds of miraculous things. And all of a sudden, his family comes to him and says, Jesus, you've got to take this miracle thing on the road. This could be big. I don't know if they're thinking, and we could be rich. I don't know what they're thinking. But John tells us right after they talk about their belief that Jesus is, is a unique, whatever they believed in right there, they knew at least he was a miracle worker from God. But it says at the end of that verse, in chapter 7, verse 2, that they didn't believe in him. They didn't believe in him. Verse 5, I think it is, John 7, verse 5. So they, they had a belief, but right now that wasn't a belief that brought pardon. Then you have this scary story that Jesus tells in Matthew 7. I'll call this the story of, of disciples who think they have believed, but they're completely surprised when Jesus asks them, in a sense, the question, why should I let you into heaven? They're standing before Christ, and they say, well, we believed, and let me give you evidence of our belief. Well, we prophesied in your name. We taught people about you. We shared the truth about you. We cast out demons. We did miracles. It'd be like us say, well, well Jesus, I, I've gone to church all my life. I went to Door Creek a lot. I, I helped out in the kids' ministries. I, I gave of my monies and things, all these things. And then Jesus has these haunting words. He says, I don't know who you are. You, you talk about a faith. True faith brings us into relationship. I don't know who you are. You're you're resting in what you've done. That's not it. It's resting in what Christ has done. And so all of a sudden we realize there's this thing called counterfeit faith. There's a faith that's bogus, that, that we could really believe with all of our hearts this is true, but it's not. All right, here's a question. So I started thinking about counterfeit money. Honestly, how many of you right now, if, I, if, you, know, if you raise your hand and I, and I pulled you up here, you could do it. You could name the president on a, a dollar, a five, a 10, a 20, a 50, and a 100. Can you do that? And, and that's just like the first part. So you could get the right face on it, but you could still be duped. Let me tell you, the counterfeiter is going to get the right guy on the bill. He's going to get the right guy. Do you think you've ever handled counterfeit money? I bet you have, without ever even knowing it. I was a cashier at a, at a Dominic's food store for a couple years in high school. I guarantee you, I'll guarantee you I did. Man, if, if it's possible for us to have handled money or, or to actually have two money in our, in, our, in our hands and we look at it and we go, I don't know. Tell me, what am I supposed to know here? Is it the real thing or not? If, if that's possible with something that we handle as often as money, is it possible that what the Bible says about the enemy, Satan, who's a liar, a deceiver, he's a thief, he's someone who disguises himself as the angel of light when he's all about darkness, he, he peddles uh, that which we think might be true when it's a lie. Is it possible that we've been duped into thinking That we've got the real deal, this thing called faith. Faith that will really pardon us when all along we've got a substitute, a counterfeit. Is it possible? And so we need to understand what faith is and what it's not. Let me tell you a couple things about what it's not. It's not simply agreeing, excuse me, it's not simply uh, intellectual assent, This, this sense of, I know the facts. I've got the knowledge of these facts. Now, faith is not less than that. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Faith is not about some kind of a hunch that we have and really subjective. It's rooted in the objective truth of God's word, believing that God doesn't lie. And so if this is God's word, we've got truth here. It's not wishful thinking against the odds. And we use the phrase, you got to keep the faith. You know, that's like what Cubs fans have been doing for 100 years, and we're doing it again. They're schnickering us back into it. All right, it's not just an intellectual assent. Faith isn't simply agreeing with those facts. So you've got an interesting story in Acts 26. King Agrippa is hearing from Paul. Paul's giving a defense for the gospel, and he says, King Agrippa, I know that you've read the prophets. I know that you know what it says about the, the coming Savior and Messiah, and I know you agree with it. And King Agri- Agrippa quickly says, hey, listen, I may have read the prophets. You may think I agree with it, but do you think you're going to make me into a Christian right here now? I'm not a believer in Christ. So it's not enough to agree. See, there's a lot of things that we know, say right now, in our, in our political environment. You know the two candidates. Hopefully you know what the issues are, and you know where their different positions are. You know it, but you don't necessarily agree with it. But you can get to a point where you actually know something and agree with something like, I agree that, that freedom is a, is a great value that we have here in this country. And democracy is something that we ought to uphold. But when it comes to voting, we don't ever vote. Well, all of a sudden we go, wait a minute. I don't really believe in it if I'm, if I'm not participating in it. And so when you think about saving faith, a faith that brings God's pardon. It's not just knowing the facts. It's not just agreeing the facts. Let me say a couple other things it's not. It's not understanding faith as it's something you do at one point in your life. So, I, I believed. It says, whoever believes. It's ongoing, present, active. Not something rooted in the past. And for some of us who've grown up in the church, honest, honest, We sometimes think the reason we're going to get God's pardon is because I prayed the prayer back then. I haven't done anything since, but I prayed the prayer. I mean, I played the card, I got out of jail, I got out of hell. Not understanding that faith is the beginning. Faith isn't something you do at one point. We walk by faith. We live by faith. The scriptures in in Romans talk about the obedience of faith. This faith now works out in all of life. So that as we have this economic crisis going on, and you find yourself as a follower of Christ growing anxious and you're worrying Well, that's a crisis, not of finance. It's not a crisis of confidence in those who would take care of the monies of our country and of the world. It's a crisis of faith. Jesus said, Just look at the sparrow. I take care of the sparrow, I'll take care of you. We start getting. So faith isn't just one time deal in the past. It's every day. It's what we call about this life of worship, living our life before God in response to Him, in obedience to Him, obeying His commands, trusting His promises. Let me say this faith always has an object. Faith has an object. It's whoever believes in Him. We live in a day. Where we almost subtly believe, as long as somebody believes something, it's all good. It's just kind of one of the outworkings of tolerance and pluralism. We're so nice with each other, and it's a good thing to be nice to each other. But we ought not be duped into the irrationality of that kind of thinking. That's not how life works. Faith is only as good as its objects. Let me give you a simple illustration. Look at this chair. This chair is a pretty messed up, broken down chair. Now, if you've got a friend who says, I believe with all of my heart that that chair will hold me up. I mean, I really believe it. And they start getting loud. You go, no way. That thing is not going to. No, I do. I promise you I do. And they get heated about it. And they go on and on to convince you how much they believe that that chair will bear their weight. You and I both know at the end of the day, it's not about how much faith they have. It's how good that chair is put together, whether their faith is going to work in this situation. Faith is only as good as its object. So it's not enough to say, I know Jesus is a son of God who died on the cross for my sins. I deserve to die, but he died in my place. It's not enough to agree that that had to happen you can agree as we just talked about in democracy and never vote and so here's what we need to understand that when the bible talks about faith and about belief think about words like trust words like rely words like lean think about this illustration from when i was in high school we would actually come up to the madison area all the time we'd come up to devil's lake and we'd go rock climbing i loved it I'll never forget the first time I was repelling. You know, climbing's up, repelling, you're going back down. And so I heard all the facts. And I agreed with the facts. You've got to put this thing on right. And uh, this person's going to have you because you're going to be tied into them. And they've got these carabiners and these brake systems, and it's all good. And, and so they said, okay, you get the stuff on, you've got your helmet on, so start, just start walking backwards. And I got to the edge, and I looked down, And I thought, that cannot be 100 feet. That has got to be 300 feet. You're 100 feet. And you think, that's not that big of a deal. Well, yeah, it is. That's way, you feel like you're on top of Everest at that point. Then they say, start leaning back. You're going, well, easy for you to say, buddy. And, and right now, all of a sudden you realize my faith isn't in the facts and in the, in the fact that I'm agreeing with the facts. All of a sudden I'm realizing my faith is in that person's hand who's got the other end of my rope and I'm trusting that they won't let me bounce off the rocks and ground 100 feet below. And there's a point in repelling as you're moving your way back off the edge of that cliff where you move from agreeing with these facts that you know to be true to all of a sudden there's this point of no return where you realize up until this point I could stand back up. Oh, that was close. To realize all of a sudden I get to the point where all of my weight is now on the rope. All of my weight is in that person's hands that's the point where we have biblical faith we know the facts we agree and now we've leaned in not on the facts but on Christ who he is and what he's done and you go well that's a scary thing it is a scary thing there's no doubt about it that's why you need to understand who it is who you're putting your life in his hands And a great thing to remember is, look at his hands. Look at his hands. And what you see in his hands are, there's there's wounds in his hands. There's nail holes in his hands. Because he spread out his arms, symbolic of his love for the whole world, for you. And he died on the cross in your place. He is the one you can trust. The one who lived a perfect life. The one who died. The one who conquered death. The one who can pardon you so you don't have to be condemned. You can know God's love and you can know life. So the question is, where are you at? Are you trusting in like 60% of Jesus is like 40% of me? That's not faith yet. It's trusting in Christ alone. That brings the pardon. It's not me plus Jesus. It's not some other religious idea or notion plus Jesus. It's not doing good works plus Jesus. It's not going to church. It's not giving money. It's trusting in Christ alone. And so the question is, well, how do I get that? How do I get that trust, that reliance where all my weight's on Christ? And here's what the Bible says. And it seems to have a little tension in it. And it's there, as in other truths in the scripture. The first thing it says is, it's a gift from God. The second thing it says, it's an act of your will. So on the one hand, it has everything to do with God. We are saved by God's grace, through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works that no one should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's a gift, It's a gracious gift. It's a free gift. We don't deserve it. We didn't even desire it, the scriptures say. And this gift comes wrapped usually, almost always, in this container, this beautifully wrapped box called the Bible. And if you don't know this, it's a really cool thing to understand that the way God gives us faith is through the Bible, which has the truth of the gospel And allows us to start believing that this is true. And that's what happens. We're hearing the gospel, and all of a sudden, this living word of God penetrates to our heart of hearts, and we start thinking from, this isn't true, to maybe, maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe this is true. To, I think I'm believing that it's true. To, I'm in it, I'm on it. 100%, this is true. So let me give you some verses that speak to this very thing. In John's uh, 17th chapter, Jesus is doing the high priestly prayer. He's praying for his disciples, but he's not just praying for them, he's praying for us. And he says, these are the people who will believe in me through the apostles' message. That's the New Testament. How are they going to believe in me, Jesus says? Through the Bible. He says the same thing in chapter 20. John's giving us here the reason and the purpose for the writing of his gospel. These things are written that you may believe. He said, I wrote the gospel so that you would believe. Believe in Christ, the Son of God, that he is the Christ. And believing in him, you have life in his name. Paul says the same thing in Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing the message. What is this message? It's the word of Christ. It's the message of God's word. All these things are true. That God gifts us with faith and most of the time, it's not the only way faith comes, but you, you see faith so often just wrapped in this package of the Word of God. Now, then there's this whole matter of, it's an act of the will. It's actually something that we have to respond to. And the interesting thing is you start reading the scriptures and you find out there's not only just two kinds of faith, but there's two kinds of responses. So you've got some people that see Jesus' miracles and they don't believe. They just reject it flat out. You see people who uh, saw flat out right in their own face. I mean, they just saw it right in front of them. They saw that he resurrected from the dead and they still didn't believe. They heard the message like in Acts chapter 14 and they refused to believe. So all of a sudden you realize there's this thing going on that it's not just the gift of God, but there is something in the heart of my heart where I have to, as an act of my will, choose to place my faith in Christ. Just like I had to choose to go through that tipping point. It's something I had to do. God's not going to push you through that. Nobody else can push you through that because it's not anything anybody else can get to. It's your responsibility to engage your will for Christ. And when that happens, all of a sudden you realize that we could be at a lot of different places. Some of us, we're just not, I mean, it's just so new to us. We're not sure we even understand that's the basic knowledge and you need to know that, that that's why we do a class here called Alpha. And it started last Monday. You could jump into it tomorrow, real easy. For about 10 to 12 weeks, we have dinner together on Monday nights, and we study the basics of the faith. And a lot of people at different places, just like right now, we're at different places. Some of us are there. Some of us are not there in terms of faith. Some of us don't understand. Some of us understand the truth, but we don't necessarily agree with it. And Jesus has a really interesting piece of advice for somebody who doesn't agree and believe in his words. He says, check out my miracles. So here's something you might want to consider. This week, read through the 16 chapters of the Gospel of Mark, the shortest of all the Gospels, and keep your eye on on this, Jesus' miracles. Just look at what he did and see if... That helps you ferret out who is this guy? Who could do this kind of stuff? That's what Jesus advised. And the third thing is some of us, quite frankly, aren't ready to lean in. It's really a scary thing to give up control, and that's where we're at. In 1829, there's a guy named George Wilson, he robbed uh, a, a mail carrier. I'm guessing some kind of stagecoach. They caught him. They convicted him and he was sentenced to execution. A lot of his family and friends petitioned Andrew Jackson, the president of the United States, to grant him executive clemency, presidential pardon. 3 weeks before he was to be hanged, Jackson did that. The the message was delivered. And you can imagine how the family and friends were ecstatic that this their friend, their son, their brother, their cousin, whoever it was, wasn't going to be hung. And so they couldn't believe that George refused the pardon. He wouldn't accept it. And so it set up this dilemma. What are we supposed to do? Is he pardoned because the president pardoned him? Or is he not pardoned because he didn't accept it? This was such a groundbreaking deal that it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And in 1833, the Supreme Court ruled, and let me read some of the things from that that brief. First of all, it said, a pardon is an act of grace, freely given. There's nothing George Wilson did to deserve it. It's an act of grace. Then it said this, a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is, is essential. In other words, there's no such thing as a pardon unless it's been delivered. You've got to see this thing in writing to know that this has really happened. And then it goes on to say, and delivery is not complete without, guess what? Acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it on him. And the Supreme Court of Heaven is just the same. God's not going to force it on you. He's not going to force it on you. And let me say that the pardon that we have in John 3, 16 is so greater than Andrew Jackson, as, as noble and as merciful of a pardon as that was. So much greater. What did it cost Andrew Jackson to pardon George Wilson? A little bit of time. He had to hear the pleas, respond with the, with the letters that he received, and write an official presidential pardon what it cost god cost him his son's life and and the scriptures say the pardon was delivered remember it's got to be delivered for it to be a pardon john 3 16 tells us christ brought the pardon the pardon's been delivered but it hasn't been delivered until it's accepted That's your part. That's your part. George Wilson was hung because he refused to accept the pardon. And the scriptures say, if our faith isn't in Christ, the one who died for our sins, then we will die condemned. No matter what we know, no matter what we agree, if we haven't accepted and received it. Maybe today's, that day for you. To cross over, John says, from death to life. To hook up with God's love His amazing love for you. To be kept from the certainty of spending the rest of your life, your eternal life, separated from God. And So it's important that you know to receive this pardon, it's to believe that it's true. And we receive it By faith. And so, when we talk about a prayer that might be indicative of of our heart's desire, we need to understand the prayer is not what saves us. It's Jesus Christ that saves us. But it's appropriate for us to express our faith in Christ through words. And here's a prayer that maybe expresses the desires of your heart. It goes like this God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me and help me to follow you and to love you with all my heart. And if that prayer expresses your heart right now, then in just a minute, when I pray it, pray it silently and receive God's pardon. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the clarity of your word. Open our eyes to the truth. Help us to see your great love Help us to understand who Jesus is. Open our eyes maybe to the lies that we've been believing about what it means to live for you, what it means to love you, what it means to be pardoned by you and grant us faith, strength and faith. Help us to remember it lives out in all of life this week as we continue to obey your commands and trust in your promises and hear those right now who are believing in your Son, Jesus. Hear them as they pray with me. God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that your Son, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me, God, and help me to follow you and to love you with all my heart. Amen.